Exodus chapter 5, 1 through 2, chapter 7, 14 through 18, chapter 10, 21 through 29. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness but so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone arise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is uh, Ben Zing, and I'm the pastor of evangelism and community at Central Presbyterian Church. Uh, as we are a related church here together, I am really privileged to be here with you guys. And uh, I've been with Central only since February. Uh, prior to that, uh, joining the church, uh, me and my wife and my family were serving a church called St. Louis Chinese Gospel Church for about seven years. And 
my wife grew up here in St. Louis, and for me, uh, now being here in St. Louis for about eight years now, I've grown to love St. Louis and see that this is home, where God's called us to be, especially to serve him and love him and what he's doing in St. Louis. And it's amazing because if you continue to be a part of St. Louis community or you come into St. Louis community, you find quickly that God is doing amazing things here in St. Louis, bad and good. But in both, God is revealing himself if we are seeing him at work. So and my role as pastor of Evangelism Community, I get to help our whole church be outward focused. And I, I love it. I have the privilege to try to help people come belong to the community of God's people and then also see how we together then serve our local community and, and, and have an outward expression of what God is saying and doing in us as God's people. It's been extremely challenging, but one that I know God is doing amazing work. And one of the things I'm really excited in doing is leading a group called Explore God at Central. And I desire to create a space at Central that is truly open and helping people truly journey and explore God. And this is important as it allows all people, those that are Christians and those that are non-Christian, those that are seeking, those that are in all different faith journeys, come and have a dialogue about what it looks like to really ask hard questions that life brings us. And in that dialogue, again, showing the God that we want to know and reveal to people, but also just dialogue from where they are in their journeys and hear where their backgrounds are and just have this discussion. But why it's so important in the church context of saying we want to have this group and have this opportunity to discuss together is to make sure that people inside the church also have that outward focus of being able to how to explain and, and declare what we believe and who we believe and why it's important to us. And we've lost that. Many in the church have lost that articulation of who is this God. So when Eric actually asked me to preach today, it's been, it was really uh, exciting because I said, I, I love this opportunity. And then he said, what I want you to preach on is the plagues. I said, the plagues. Thanks, Eric. I said, as much as I would enjoy coming to preach, and then I was thinking about the plagues, as I was studying it more and more and talking with Eric more about what this uh, sermon would do, especially fitting into this series, I loved it because it comes again with this idea of who is this Lord? The title of my sermon is Who is this Lord? It comes directly from what Pharaoh is, is saying here in chapter 5 of who is this Lord that you're talking about? I don't know him and why would I obey him then? And we'll unpack that a little more in today's sermon. But God wants to reveal himself to us like he revealed himself to those in Israel and Egypt. And he constantly wants to show again and again who he is in his character and his love, his mercy, his compassion for people. And we are going to see it again through this idea of what he's doing in the plagues. And it resulted for Israel, this lesson through the plagues, in deliverance. And for Egypt, it led to judgment. And for Pharaoh, it led to death. The God Almighty and creator of everything, the God of the universe, has no rivals. He has no rivals, and he is the one that is worthy of everything and worthy especially of our lives. So we are called to worship him alone and follow him with our lives because he is God. He is God. He is the God of mercy, grace, power, and justice. So our topic for today is who is this Lord? So let's pray and we'll open up the scripture again. Father, we thank you again for bringing us here to this place that we can ask this question who is this Lord? And as you want to des and, and desire so much to reveal yourself, would you open up our hearts and our minds to see fully who you are in your character and your identity 
and the desire then to follow you with all of our wills, not to defy you, but to live according to your ways that would bring truth to lives around us. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would go with me again to reread Exodus 5, 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. And God, the God of Israel, said, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So I find it extremely intriguing how Pharaoh has posed this question. He is responding to Moses and Aaron, and you have to remember the journey that God has brought Moses on. So as you've been going through this series, and this is the seventh part of this sermon series, is a lot of Moses' journey with God. So he himself needed God to reveal himself to him. Moses has gone through so much in his background that he needed God to reveal himself to Moses. And Moses has been through the ups and downs of understanding what it really is to recognize this God, this God that is calling him into intimate relationship with him, one that revealed himself in the burning bush that was so clear for Moses to know that he had to submit, but not just submit, but to know this loving God that wants to use him to deliver his people. And in this up and down journey, we finally get his hesitation in going back to Egypt. You saw that last week when we, we, you hear Moses saying all these excuses of why he can't be the one to do it. And God shows him over and over again how he's revealing himself through his power that he will use a vessel like Moses. And here we are again intersecting now with another character of Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh and they're sharing with him this God that wants his people to be let go. They're captive in slavery in Egypt. Now, Israel had to come to Egypt because they were starving. There was famine. They came to Egypt to survive. Joseph and God, preparing that way through Joseph, allowed the Israelites to continue to beat on. And that's an important part of the story because any time God's story, especially with his people, seems like it's going to just end. But it's God's story, his story, his history that shows that he will provide a way. And constantly, over and over again, God shows this way that he's going to provide. And Pharaoh now is setting up, right here, between him and God, this dialogue through Moses and Aaron. In other words, when Pharaoh is recognizing, who is this God? Who is the Lord that you're talking about? He knows what they're talking about. He knows the Hebrews that are part of his workforce and slaves. But he thinks that he's more powerful than them. He feels that the gods that they worship and that they look to for providing for the land is more powerful than their God. So when he's recognizing this, who is this Lord? Who is the Lord that you're talking about? And why would I obey this Lord? It's two things when I was reading a lot of commentary on this passage. He's indicating two things about what Pharaoh's question is indicating to us. It's first, the ignorance of God's full character and identity. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know the full character and identity of God. He doesn't know this Yahweh God. The second thing is there's this defiance to follow and obey. Even if I did know this God, why would I follow him? My gods are more powerful than this God. I'm more powerful than this God. Because the way they set up the Egyptian gods is Pharaoh is amongst the gods. And he was powerful. I'm more powerful than your God. Your people are my slaves. 
So through this journey this morning in this passage, we're going to look through this question also of who is this Lord? And we're going to see how God reveals in three things. First, that ignorance of his identity. Second, in the defiance against his claims. And third, we're going to kind of see how God reveals who is this Lord through the power he has over all things that we worship. Over all things that we worship. So let's start first with how God wants to reveal himself in the ignorance to his identity. So if you would turn with me again to that passage in Exodus 7, 16 and 17. It says this, And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, and they may serve me in the wilderness, so that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I'll strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. So here's the first plague. And if you have time to study the plagues in more detail, you'll see that the language is pretty similar, but there are a few distinctions. But again, it's pretty similar where God is revealing himself, asking Pharaoh to let his people go. Pharaoh sometimes saying he will and sometimes he won't, but regardless, his pride is there that he doesn't want to let God's people go. And that God will say, the reason for these plagues is this. By this, you shall know that I am the Lord. He's revealing himself, not just to Pharaoh, and we're going to see throughout the rest of the, on, on taking out this passage and, and the different plagues, is to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to the Israelites even, to Moses himself, to all nations. Because Egypt is a powerful nation. God is revealing himself to all of this. By this, all will know I am the Lord. So recall, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and it stems from the fact that he believes he is the God of all of Egypt. So he's unable to understand what Moses and Aaron are saying to him. Just let my people go. Just let them go. For him, again, this idea of what is going on in his heart is this hardening of his heart, not towards just kind of the things that are around what he's controlling, but hardening of a heart against God. And he is initiating that. And a lot of times we'll, we'll talk more about this in the defiance. But this hardening of the heart comes from him initiating, not this passive heart, but one that is against God because he wants his way and what he desires. And one of the ways that he desires things is that he's looking to his gods or himself to provide for his people. And it's not a coincidence that God was asking Moses to do this during the morning and get to the Nile. Because usually that ritual would be the Pharaoh would go to these different places and to, to recognize that he wanted to offer up things to the gods of Egypt to provide for them and his people. So the Nile was very important to the Egyptians as it was their water source. And Pharaoh would have probably been out there offering up his prayers and devotion to the Nile, which was one of the Egyptian gods. And here God is answering directly to Pharaoh, giving that identity of who he is. He is a God over the Nile. He created the Nile. He created all of creation. So what you are worshiping is a false God before me. And I'm revealing myself and my character and the power of who I am. So God specifically chose that and executed that so that we could see that. And you can go down the line, in which we will later in our third point, on how God answers to these Egyptian gods. Because each plague is answering to a different God that they were worshiping. 
so the Nile. They actually worshipped this fertility god that was represented by the frogs. I was showing my children these kind of depictions on the artifacts on the walls, and this god was actually green. And my son said, oh, it kind of looks like a frog. And there's just different aspects of what they were worshipping in their Egyptian ways. They would worship the Geb, the god of the earth, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue on. But these plagues are targeted specifically at the gods of Egyptian worship. And God is saying, I am the God over all of creation. I'm the one that's superior and above all these things. And through the plagues, again, if you have time to study and read them over, uh, Eric gave me four chapters, five chapters to go over in one sermon. And he said, you have 35 minutes. I said, okay. But if you have time to study it more in depth, you'll see that there's these magician and magi and, and, and pharaohs asking them to replicate all these things. And sometimes they're able to re- reproduce what happens, like the blood in the Nile, but they can't clean it up. They're not able to reverse the curse, the things that bring destruction to what creation is bringing. And God's saying, you're doing it incorrectly. Only I can restore, reconcile, deliver. God is the one saying that. And he's again revealing his identity. And he's showing them that they have ignorance of who this God is, this true God that is above all things. But Israel's so small. But God did that on purpose. He chose a small nation that would be powerful because God allowed them to be powerful. And it's God. It's always pointing to God in his story. And that's what God is doing through these passages. So today, what does it look like for us to apply this idea of these plagues? And I was reading this commentary and it says, first, you have to be very cautious not to take these things literally and say we can have modern day examples of Just point to that flood and say they're being punished. Point to that earthquake and they're being punished. Because the brokenness of the fall is bringing about those things, of people's lives being destructed by cancer, by people's lives being destructed by the brokenness and the fall that had begun from the very beginning. And of course, because we don't serve God fully, there are things and consequences that happen, but we can't correlate them one-to-one like we do in the Old Testament. We see God continuously on that journey and revealing who he is. And he's still consistent. He's a God that wants to reveal himself, but he shows himself differently in the ways that isn't just, again, spoken through Moses who saw a burning bush. But we see God in different ways. We experience him, we know him, and we share with our brothers and sisters that have this broken relationship with God in different ways, not sharing that flood is because you're not believing in God. You're saying to people that we have broken lives and only God is the one that can deliver. That's the message. The message today is showing that this God who is all-powerful is still the same God that is all-powerful, but he is the only one that can deliver. He brings about creation. He's also the only one that brings about reconciliation. So in how we apply today's text, again, it's not a moralistic one or a literal sense, but it's one to say, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? Do you know the full identity of this God that we're talking about this morning? I don't believe you're in this room by coincidence. God has drawn you to this place to reveal to you and to let you know his full identity and character that he is a God that is supreme over all. He's a God that's full of mercy, love, and grace. He's a God that wants you and longs for you because this whole story is actually a long love story of wanting his people and other people to be know that he is God and wants them back into the fold. That's what these plagues are. My son said, isn't it just about punishment? 
I said, no, you're not reading the whole text of what God is doing through this. It's showing that he's above all these other gods. There are consequences for not following him, but those consequences are there so that you will come back into the loving arms of a father that loves you. That's what this story is about. So in this idea of how he reveals in today, that class that I'm teaching at Central is called Explore God, and it's so interesting to have conversations with seekers versus those within the church. Because those within the church, I'll ask a question like, what is the purpose of life? And it's important to have that dialogue to know how people are coming to that question without, especially without God in the center of that, how to bring them on that journey to think about God. And those in the church can't articulate that anymore. My class was, oh, according to the catechism, the ch- God is supposed to be worthy of all of our praise and worship. And I said, but if we're all the way over here, how do you start first with what did you find purpose in life with? And how would you connect with somebody that is still asking that question, what's the purpose of life? And you start asking questions like, why does God even real? Is that a good question for us to even go back to, especially those within the church? To go back to our very basics, does God really exist? But so many of us have been in the church for so long that we forget why. We just say, he just does. I just have faith. But God, in his faith and desire to give us faith, also wants to show that he reveals himself, and there's reasonable faith. There's opportunities for us to articulate and share with people what we're actually really believing. And when we get to the center of that, we're able to clearly then share with not just words, but with actions and love and understanding of walking along somebody that's actually struggling with these questions and then have a dialogue that actually points them to a God that you can actually believe in, a God that is faithful, reasonable, and understandable. And in kind of watching, we watch videos and then we'll discuss them. One of the videos that I showed our group was one by Ravi Zacharias. And if you haven't watched the video by Ravi Zacharias, please watch because he's excellent. He's a great apologist. He hurts my brain though. And he indicated there's two things that we in all other world views as well as religions cannot point to. A coherence as well as kind of one that is uh, kind of consistent in sharing how we get things in life. So first, there are four things that you need to know that Christianity is the only one that is coherent and consistent on these four things. First is origin. Where do we come from? Second is meaning. Why are we here? Third, morality. What is right and wrong? And four, destiny. What happens to me when I die? And when we ask these four questions, I was telling people in our class, it's really interesting because you'll have conversations. For my dad, it was this idea of meaning. He came from uh, Taiwan, from a poor village, and their religion, if you wanted to call it a religion, would be Buddhist. But it was really kind of cultural Buddhism because they really didn't believe in Buddhism. They would just kind of go and just kind of offer up offerings at the temple and burn incense, thinking that that was the way that they would appease something and just have good fortune. So just be a good person. Just don't do any harm to others. And just kind of burn these incense and hope for good fortune. That was their way of life. And it's really interesting because I think Pharaoh has a certain relationship with their gods, as Egyptians as well, that are very similar. It's one that's just based on, hmm, hopefully things, good things will happen if you just obey these things or you do these things for the gods and you appease them. But that's not the God that we serve. And we know 
in, as he reveals his identity. And my dad said, he was a scientist, he said, I could explain how anything in this world worked with, as kind of just in chemistry or chemical reactions, but I could never explain why. And that's what broke him. God revealed to him that he needed to know purpose and why those things happened. And the only way he could explain that was through this book and through the God that created it. And he found great meaning then in life. And that was just one of the four that Ravi is saying. Christianity is the only one that will consistently give you meaning for all four or purpose and understanding that is consistent and coherent. And when we go through those modes, there's still a lot of us in this world that have friends or know people. And you see the statistics now that people are growing in this idea of atheism. So we were doing this study with our our teen ministry and our children ministry, and they did a whole new study on Gen Z. And Barna came up with uh, material, and they said that atheism from the kind of the the millennials and even before that to Gen, uh, Gen X, all of those generations had a certain percentage of atheism. It was about 7 or 8%. It's grown now to 14 15% of those of that generation say they're atheist. And we're growing in this idea that there is no God. There is no God. And I don't think that there is no God. It's just our refusal to see God and know him and know that he's still revealing himself. And that's what God is saying to us this morning. Again, that he is there. He's revealing himself. But are we seeing him? Are we knowing him? Aren't we wanting to know this God? The second portion of this is just defiance of his claims. So in fact, God allowed the plagues to happen to all who disobeyed him. And why would we say that? Let us take a look at some of the facts about the ten, command, uh, the ten plagues and look at them a little deeper. So among the ten plagues, the first three especially, first is the water turned to blood in Exodus 7. The second is the frogs in Exodus 7, 25 through 8 through 15. And the third is lice, Exodus 8, 16 and 19. And they say they come in cycles. But these three especially, they would have happened to all those in Egypt, Egyptians and Israel alike. So as God starts these plagues, it's also a reminder to Israel. Israel has forgotten who God is. They've forgotten that there's a God that loves them and wants to deliver them. They've forgotten all the ways that they need to live in accordance to his ways. But it's given because they're living, they're in slavery now. They're, they're, they're hard beaten and, and God understands their plight, but he wants them to turn to him. Know that he's going to deliver them. He's got a promise for them, but they're going to go through these plagues with Egypt. Now the question is, what's going to happen though? What are they going to decide? Are they going to follow God? Or are they going to follow themselves? You'll start seeing a switch in, in, in the fourth plague with the land, uh, the kind of, uh, and then the fifth plague with the cattle. Because the cattle especially, as you see what happens, Pharaoh actually recognizes that the Hebrew cattle actually aren't touched. The ones that are diseased are the Egyptian ones. And there are a lot of commentaries that believe that that actually is the pointer where Israel gets it again. They understand that they're God's people and they're supposed to be delivered and blessed. And then that's the trigger also for Pharaoh to know that this God is going to protect and love his people. He knows his people and he loves them and he wants to continue to be with them. So the idea of this, what God does through his judgment and, and kind of discipline, he disciplines both his people as well as those outside that need to know him. It's this kind of alarm that says, come and know me. I'm revealing myself and I want not for judgment upon you and destruction, but I want you to come 
to know me, and I want intimately to know you. So this is to reveal to everyone again, both Israelites and, and Egyptians, that they are to come and know the deliverance of God, that he's the one that's powerful and that he will bless and he will protect. But we find that 5 through 9 especially, and you'll see next week as, as Eric's going to lead into Passover with the 10th plague, that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And it's a tricky subject, especially in trying to understand in today's day what it means that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the idea is, did God harden his heart so that he couldn't respond, so it's all on God rather than Pharaoh? And many commentaries say it's God that is able to do those, whether to harden or not. But I think that there's something that happens here, because Pharaoh already showed the character that he wasn't going to relent on Hebrews. He didn't think highly of Hebrews. He put them in slavery. But it was consistent with his heart that he, in, in the Hebrew, it's actually a lot of translations would first be stative. So it wasn't passive that he was so passive, and then God made him hardened versus against the Hebrews. It was stated that his heart was already hardened towards the Hebrews, and that it would continue on, that his heart would be hardened, and that God knows the history and foreknows all that's going to happen, that he utilizes this evil portion of season in history that he can do his work of redemption and deliverance. So God continues this work because he knows that it's necessary for the Israel to know this great love story. And it would continue to happen the way that God says, but Pharaoh already first had hardened his heart, and God solidified that by saying, I will harden his heart that I will deliver my people. So again, it's this love story that God's trying to reveal to his people as Moses is writing to those of, of God's family. But again, if we point to just that, then we need to see the rest of Scripture. And I hope that as you go through this series Eric is going to reveal more and more the purpose of what God is trying to say in these judgments, in these things, because it's a, to declare to the rest of the nations. One of the things that we have at Central is this kind of catchphrase, and it's know, know God, be known, and then make known. And if we know God, that's what we want people to come and know God. But then be known, come and belong to his family and know that you belong in God's family. You belong, and you belong to God's family, not to be assimilated with each other, but I constantly use this language of come and add to God's kingdom and family because of who you are and how God's created you. And the ways that you now belong here is not you coming and being part of this and just being like everybody else, but you bring your uniqueness of who you are so that we can, again, see God's way of building his church, his church, not ours. And in that, when we know him, be known, then we make known. We go and declare who he is to the rest of the nations. So it's not just a story for Israel. This story will, again, start showing itself and revealing to the nations who this God is. So that leads us to our third point, which will lead to a lot of the application for us in this text. And this third point is about the idols of our hearts. Because God is revealing to himself that he's more powerful than any of the gods or the things that we're worshiping in our lives. And for Egypt, you could see it through each of their gods. So they worship the goddess of fertility, Hekek, the god of the frogs. They worship the god of the earth through the god that he would bring lice to. They worship Karipi, the god of creation and rebirth. And that's where he brought the flies they worshipped Hathor, the goddess of love and protection. 
They worshipped Isis, the goddess of medicine and peace, Nut, the goddess of the sky, Seth, the god of the storm and disorder, and Ra, the son of God, the sun god. The pharaoh, which will be next week, they worship because he was the ultimate power in Egypt. And it's so interesting because God is revealing himself over these gods. And we say, oh, we don't have these statues or we don't have these gods, but we do. Because we have these false gods in today's day that are consuming our lives and we're worshiping. Tim Keller has an excellent book called Counterfeit Gods. And he expands our understanding of idolatry. Because it's not just a graven image of a statue or these images of a god that we put on a wall. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. A counter for God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I had that, I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll have, know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something. Perhaps the best one is worship. So we worship many things. And on this earth, we worship many, many things that are not God-honoring. Because we're worshiping money. Or we're worshiping career. We're worshiping achievement. We're worshiping saving face, social standing. We're worshiping a perfect family, a romantic relationship. We're worshiping beauty, intelligence. We're worshiping sex and power and control or happiness. But God is saying, I'm above all those things. And do you realize as you're erring on how you're trying to receive them, you can only find them in me. Full contentment, full satisfaction, and full understanding of these things. But counterfeit gods drive us to the ground as we try to appease them. It's an endless search and a hard search and one that's tiresome. But God is asking us to see that these false cars are destructive and is revealing to our heart what are we truly worshiping. And it sounds hopeless, but it isn't. Because God of Old Testament, of New Testament, is consistent. He was always pointing to a way. This whole idea of the plagues was to bring deliverance for his people. They would be taken out of captivity of Egypt, out of slavery, and brought into the promised land. And for us, that picture hopefully is that picture of that we are stuck in slavery to sin. But God is going to deliver us to the promised land, which is ultimately with him in heaven. But it's him that will deliver and show us that picture of what that looks like. And he reveals it over and over again that all you need to do is submit to this God that is worthy, worthy of our very lives, worthy of our very essence of everything we are. But in order for someone to be delivered, we must first come to the conclusion that God is right. He is the one that's worthy of our lives. I am a broken sinner that tries to follow myself. I'm trying to save myself, and I try to worship the things that I love and I want in my own life. But by faith, all I need to do is trust that God will deliver and bring me out of that. And he's given us a way through Christ. What Christ has done on the cross gives us that opportunity to be reconciled with him. And in that reconciliation, 
it's that story we get to tell people. If you are one that has that story, you have that opportunity to share with somebody else. I was telling my class last week for Explore God, God wants absolutely for us to know God's word is reliable. And it's something that we need to share with people how important the Bible is to be the word of God that without error reveals the God that we worship and know. And this is so essential for our relationship with God. But do you know in 2 Corinthians 3 it says that his word now is also written on our human hearts. And in our human hearts we're supposed to reveal God to others that are around us. And that is revealed through the ways that we love and we act and we show who he is. And unfortunately, today's criticism of the church is we're not doing it. We're not living out the values that we're saying. And rather, we're picking and choosing what we want to live out before others. There's so many passages that say how we're supposed to love the poor. There's so many passages about how we need to stand stand up for those that are being oppressed and marginalized. And God is sharing with us that you can't pick and choose your verses. I was sharing with my class that there's a Bible, actually, that's out in Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's Bible, that is actually cut up of Bible verses that he didn't like. He just took them out. He just cut them out. Don't like that one. Cut it out. So there's a Bible full of holes. And God is saying that that's not you. You need to know the full counsel of his word. And then also you need to know that it's written on your heart to live out so that people will know and see that you're image bearers of God. And for us, when we know this God and we know this Jesus has done that work in our lives, we have this opportunity to show radical hospitality to those around us. And it's really interesting because a lot of religions know radical hospitality better than us now. They know how to love a neighbor, to love someone that's a stranger, to come over to my house for a meal. If someone knocked on your door and they didn't have a place to stay, come on and stay with us. We've lost that, especially in where we live in as a society as well as the church. This idea of radical hospitality. I was at a conference and we were talking about how we really need to reveal ourselves as Christian to those around us. And the speaker was talking about radical hospitality. And this radical hospitality I was eating up and I was loving because it was this idea that, think about even Martin Luther before, he had this huge heart for it. And he pointed himself to Abraham who had this huge heart for hospitality. But what does this hospitality look like? I told them right away, the first image that I had was go to my leadership group, the elders in the building, and we say, let's do radical hospitality. And the first image that I had in that discussion was let's have better coffee and better donuts. Let's just be hospitable with those that come and visit us. But that's not hospitality. Hospitality is truly getting into people's lives that are around us. Have a meal with those that are next to us. Have a conversation with somebody that's hurting that's around us. And they might believe in the same person that, or same God that we believe in, but it starts that entry point of just having that relationship with people to build that credibility to be able to speak into people's lives. And we've lost that, especially as Christians to build that trust and credibility to be able to speak truth into their lives. And God wants constantly to remind us in the church, as well as those outside the church, that I'm not marked by the people that fail me. I'm still God, and I still am doing what I'm, called, uh, what I'm calling creation to do, is to come and worship me. But we are needing to see, are we going to follow that way, or are we going to follow our own way? I was telling that the last portion that I ended with in my lesson was 
Be part of his story. His story is history. God is revealing his story in history. And are we going to be part of his story? Or are we going to be part of our own story? And this morning, I want to invite you all to spend time just to reflect and think, what am I worshiping? Am I worshiping the God that wants to reveal himself in full power and full worthiness of my life? Am I worshiping other things, these false gods that if they were away from my life, I would just lack meaning? Then that's an idol that God wants you to remove and find again this God that is here. And if you're still seeking too, this is a morning that God is saying, come and know me. Who is this Lord? And I hope you heard this morning, this God is a God that is full of love for his people, as well as those that he wants to join his family. So if you would spend a few moments in just quiet meditation, then we'll lead to the Lord's Supper.